You're listening to the awesome Podcast Network. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Slowest escape ever. Y'all guys want to come back anytime? Yeah. Pool party. <laughs> and you got redressed my skin. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, welcome back, everybody. It has been over a freaking year since you've heard the sultry tones of me, your host for 80s Revisited, Trey Harris. With me as always, my producer, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. We are still alive. Mm. COVID-free, knock on wood. Yep. And, of course, I know the question on everybody's mind, where the hell have you been? Well, as we left it before, I'm still in California. Jesse's still in good old Baton Rouge. And totally my fault. I've been so busy. Uh... Violet, uh, just pretty much, I'm not, I'm not blaming my lovely daughter, even though it totally sounds like I'm blaming <laughs> my daughter. Here we uh, go. Basically, uh, right when we, the last episode we did, which I think was May the 4th of 2020, today's uh, July 27th Ooh. of 2021. So we had a nice little break there to collect our thoughts. And, you know, I went to a cabin in the, in the, in Big Bear Lake here in California by myself <laughs> for two weeks and lived off the land and, no, that's that, that that would never happen. But uh, anyway, <laughs> meditated. I stopped taking naps mm. during the day. And we didn't have any daycare, so I was pretty much daddy daycare all day long because Autumn works from home. My schedule's much more flexible. So that really put a big kibosh in setting aside quiet time to be able to do stuff. And even then once we put her in daycare, it was still it was kinda just got busy with work and stuff. So I mean it was it was nothing about uh anything on Jesse's end. It was pretty much just me being not being able to find the time to set aside for it and all that, but absolutely missed it. Always love talking to Jesse about movies that I've seen that he has maybe seen 20 years ago, yeah. 30, 40 <laughs> years ago and and such. And just hearing the sound of my own voice. But uh, first off, I do want to say thank you. We did get many emails from our a lot of our loyal uh, longtime listeners and Facebook messages. Uh, ben in Tasmania, UK Paul, our friends over there. Uh, so definitely appreciated. Hope, hopefully y'all are hearing this and it pops up on your subscriptions. You're like, what the right. hell is this? We'll see <laughs> so if iTunes still recognizes back. us as a podcast. Yeah, your podcast was deactivated. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully. But uh, enough of the reminiscence. Let's get back to the task at hand, which is revisiting 80s movies, which is what we do best and better than most people. Uh, but anyway, it's good to be back. Jesse, I'm glad we're I'm glad you're. You know, you took me back with open arms, mm -hmm. like two brothers who hadn't seen each other in one year and three months <laughs> and started podcasting again. But anyway, Cocoon released mm. June 21st, 1985. IMDb gives it a 6.7. Rotten Tomatoes is a little kinder with a 79% critics, 60% audience. So that IMDb score is almost right there in the middle between the two. $17.5 million estimated budget. It opened almost eight million seven point nine. It was number one for the week, beating Rambo two for, or excuse me, Rambo First Blood Part two, which was mm. uh, the that was its fifth week in release, and it was still number two, right behind Rambo that week. We had the Goonies at number three, which was coincidentally coincidentally its third week at the box office, 
And if you remember from our Ghostbusters episode where we talked heavily about the box office, the yearly box office for 1985, number 13 for the week was Beverly Hills Cop in its 29th week was still making in the top top 10 is good, but it's still top 13 back then for 29 weeks. Mm. You don't see that today. It's already on streaming by the the 20th week of release practically these days. Uh, However, Cocoon would go on to grow 76.1 million domestically worldwide, 85.3 couldn't find any information at all about the rentals, but it was a damn good weekend at the box office. Pretty much something for everybody to take a look at. So, Personally, yeah. I would probably would have gone and see the Goonies multiple times. Uh, too young to get into Rambo. <laughs> Had to wait for the VHS for that one. But uh, as I kind of mentioned before, this was directed by Opie himself, Ron Howard. Apollo 13, Splash, Backdraft, Parenthood. Most recently, I think Solo might be his most recent one, which that has such a uh, car crash of a history behind it, getting it to the screen. Uh, it was written by Tom Benedek. He did the screenplay. And David Saperstein, who did the story. And they pretty much did nothing else aside from uh, pretty much uh, the sequel, <laughs> Cocoon mm. Return, aptly named. Cinematography was by Daniel Peterman. He also worked with Howard on Splash, but he also has some good stuff. He had uh, Star Trek Four, which I think was the Voyage Home, uh, Point Break, and The First Men in Black. So he had some good stuff. I mean, he, he's no Dean Cundy or anything like that, but a pretty good cinematographer uh, for the most part, I'd say. Uh, and starring Mr. Diabetes himself, Wilford, the late, great Wilford Brimley, who just passed away last year uh, as Ben, uh, of course, veteran of the podcast with The Thing, the sequel to the last film that we did on the podcast, Ewoks, The Battle for Indoor, and of course, Diabetes commercials and right. memes. And uh, oh, I'd be remiss to forget, too. Thanks, Jesse, for popping it up on the little screen here. He was uh, Chance Boudreaux's uncle in Hard Target, so he, <laughs> he was... He was uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's <laughs> uncle with his heavily, heavily don't kiss on accent, Sean. <laughs> so still a great part of that movie. Great actor. Uh, sad to see him go. Uh, and pretty much as you'll hear for every actor in this film. Right. Until <laughs> we get to the goot uh, has passed away. Uh, also starring the great. And I love saying his name. Don Uh He seems he's like a mafia boss. Ah, oh, Don Amici. I'm so sorry. I did not get the uh, whatever. The cannoli. <laughs> Uh, great actor. He was art. Uh, most notably, uh, I always remember him from two things, Trading Places and Harry and the Hendersons. But uh, 90s kids might remember him more so as the voice of Shadow from Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. <laughs> and this role actually won him an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, also starring Hume Cronin. He was Joe. He was in The World According to Garp, Batteries Not Included, which also starred the next star of this film. I'll get to her in a second. But uh, also he was in The Pelican Brief. And the 1943 Phantom of the Opera, the Universal Monsters Phantom hmm. of the Opera. So a veteran of classic horror. Uh, but his wife was also his co-star and his wife in this movie. Also, batteries not included. The late, great, as again, we're going to say for practically everybody on this <laughs> cast, uh, Jessica Tandy <laughs> as Alma. They are husband and wife again after this film and batteries not included and return for the sequel uh, to Cocoon. Uh, but most notably, Driving Miss Daisy. She is the titular or titular, however you want to pronounce it, driving or titular Miss Daisy. Uh, also, Fried Green Tomatoes with Kathy, Kathy Bates. And her and Hume Cronin were married for 52 years until she passed away in, I think, 95, 90, somewhere around there. Uh, and he lived to be about another, I think, till 2008 or so. So they were married an incredibly long time. 
and played married couples in not one, but three films, uh, which is pretty incredible. Uh, and also, you know, with the subject matter of this film uh, being about, you know, getting old pretty much and wanting to recapture that little bit of youth, mm-hmm. kind of sad, uh, melancholy, I guess, when you're kind of watching and, you know, and like reading the whole story about him. Pretty sad. And then also, again, late and great Brian Dennehy as Walter, the leader of the uh, whatever the aliens were called, something with an A, Antarian, something like that. Uh, but most notably, t- he's always a villain, usually, although you look at his record, he played a lot of good guys, too. <laughs> Uh, but I'm so used to remembering him from First Blood uh, as, you know, the villainous sheriff that just doesn't want these Vietnam vagrants walking through his town. Uh, so kind of sets off Rambo on his journey and uh, almost pays for it with his life. Hmm. But, but a lot of people probably remember him as Tommy Boy, from Tommy Boy as Tommy's dad. Uh, what, what, forget the, whatever the last, uh, Carnahan, Callahan. Big Auto Tom. Parts, whatever it was. Yeah, Big so Tom. Last, Oh, where they work for? Oh, who knows? Yeah, it was like like Callahan or something like that or something. Yeah, Tommy Callahan. Yeah. Uh, So uh, from there. And then also uh, he was uh, the lead. uh, Was it the lead Montague in uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, where they used guns and called them swords? Like the only part I remember from that movie is Brian Dennehy in his limo saying something like, what thou ho, hand me thy long sword. (laughs) I'm a shotgun. (laughs) <laughs> that's what i remember about that uh and also actually i remember two things i remember that and then i had to watch that movie in the theater because we were going to see star trek first contact mm. on a date <laughs> so i was going to take this we were, i was double dating with a friend and we were, our date was she was a swedish exchange student too so wink wink uh, <laughs> i was pretty lucky to even get a date with her but anyway uh so we were gonna we were going with the intent to see star trek first contact sold out had to go see Romeo and Juliet. So uh, otherwise I probably wouldn't have seen it till many years later when, I don't know. When you're making fun of it. That movie was huge when it came out. All the girls loved it because of Leo. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. You know, it was, it was a huge movie when it came out. Uh, But going on with the cast, getting to some people who are still alive. uh, The Goots, Steve Gutenberg has Jack, veteran of the podcast with the Police Academy series, Three Men and a Baby. And the soon to be covered... Short Circuit. Johnny Five mm. is alive. Uh, another veteran of the podcast, Barrett Oliver. He was David. He was Wilford Brimley's grandson. He was um, pretty much, he's a kid from the Neverending Story that's reading the reading the Neverending Story. And as oh, okay. always, it's a Ron Howard movie. So who's going to show up? Glenn Howard yep. is Rico, which Brother. is a, a strange name for a orderly in a, uh, a clearly American orderly in a retirement community, uh, Rico, but of course, Ice Cream Man, Evil Speak, Austin Powers, practically every Ron Howard film. Anytime yes, you need a dad. disgusting little man, you call Clint. <laughs> <laughs> he is legendary, though. Yeah. Also, he was in House of the Dead, too. Uh, the first one, well, I don't know if he was in the second one. I remember him being in that. I was like, their big name for that Yui Bowl House of the Dead movie was, We got Clint Howard! <laughs> Just the first one. Yeah, but, Good. He, he even even Clint knew he wouldn't he wasn't coming back for that. But I think he was killed anyway. But he could have been a zombie, a la Reanimator or something. But yeah. Now of course you know this podcast is called Eighties Revisited, and I have not seen this movie since the eighties, mm. maybe early nineties, maybe. But this is a true revisit for me. Uh, Jesse, are you familiar with this film at all? I'm familiar with it, but for the same reason, except I did not revisit it. <laughs> I just remember well, it. 
it might that might be best as we as I kind of break <laughs> it down here. But uh, yeah, Cocoon was a big hit when it came out, and I mean, honestly, it's it's kind of so, like, people really believed in the script for this movie. Which, by the way, this is actually inspired by a novel uh, by the uh, the story the, the story credit that I mentioned earlier, David uh, Saperstein. Guys, I got a great idea for a movie. Old people go to this pool where there's aliens are putting cocoons in, and it makes them young. Exactly. <laughs> somebody, mm, yeah, somebody believed in this. Uh, now, I don't think this is a bad movie at all. I, you know, it's I enjoyed it, but if you've listened to this podcast at least a couple of times, you kind of know that I give you know I give movies some passes a lot of the time. But there are so many. This movie has a lot of like. Uh, um, well, what about this? You don't even explain this. And I'm a champion for not explaining some things in movies, especially like horror movies. I, firm, firm believer. You don't explain that Michael Myers is just, you know, product of a thorn cult that made him evil. You don't, you don't ever bring that up because that takes the scariness from it, et cetera, et cetera. You don't need to explain why Jason Voorhees comes back or anything like that. You know, the legend about it is, oh, he's in those woods. He's still alive. That's good enough. Science fiction, though, does tend to be a genre where you do need a little bit more because your 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 horror movies, while necessarily grounded in reality, so to speak, there's that escape. I think horror movies are the escapism genre, like number one, mm-hmm. because you know you know you, you know. I love watching these aggravating teenagers get hacked to bits. Now that sounds very demented and psychotic, mm. but you know, like I, that's not, in reality, I don't want to see that. I don't want to go to ogreish.com or whatever is still out there that still exists where people go watch that, you know, that stuff. <laughs> don't want to see it. There's that separation of reality when I watch a horror movie. Science fiction, though, good science fiction, I should say. You take a modern issue, which this one does, which, and when I say issue, I say, you know, theme or, you know, uh, philosophy, whatever, however you want to put it. Like, and the theme of Cocoon is basically the fear of growing old mm-hmm. is what it's about. And the older I get, because I'm 40 fucking one years old, you know, thing, and, and a parent now too. And, and that's the thing. When you become a parent, your entire view of everything changes. You become a completely, di- well, let me rephrase that. Most people become a different person. Some people don't, and those are bad people. Those are bad parents. Um, you know, so things start, you know, there are different things in movies, especially movies that I watched when I was a kid, hit so differently. And I'll touch on that as we kind of go through the story here. But anyway, starts off, alien ship comes to Earth. All of a sudden they jump in the water. They're diver. Or no, I'm sorry. They uh, they go over this part of the ocean. You see this buried civilization. So in a in a nutshell or now there's no more time. Let me sum up. In a cocoon. <laughs> yeah, they uh, <laughs> they were on Atlantis and they evacuated. And Atlantis is apparently off the shore of Flo- was off the shore of Florida, and they left their their you know um, some people stayed behind so the others could escape, and basically they are coming back to get their cocoons of the people who stay the their people who stayed so it's a rescue mission, uh-huh. uh, but these aliens which again they don't explain it you don't have to them being alien is enough you know you don't have to show their planet or give their origins or anything that's fine, but so they go hire the goot well uh, let me let me let me take a step back so I can stay in order here comes I'm going from memory. Uh, mm. Well, uh, Wilfred Brimley, uh, Donami, Donamiche. I gotta, I gotta say it with that flair because <laughs> it, it deserves. It's such a great, it's a great name. And Hume Cronin, like they sneak out of, uh, they sneak into this abandoned property's pool to go swimming in. 
which, hey, you know, again, th- now, now I'm nitpicking. How is this pool not dirty as fuck? <laughs> it is perfectly chlorinated and everything. But they are kind of show like there's a realtor there showing the house, so they might like pay somebody to clean it or something. Who knows? So, you know, not a big deal, but it, it does. It is like that's the first thing I thought. This house is abandoned and looks trashy, but the pool is immaculate. <laughs> so, whatever, notwithstanding. So they go swimming there for fun just to get some exercise, blah, blah, blah. Can't blame them. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, Walter, Brian Dennehy, and the aliens, who you don't know were aliens at first, rent the house to use the pool to store the cocoons that they are getting by using Steve Gutenberg's boat to get the get the cocoons back. Which honestly, here's what here's what, also what doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm confusing <laughs> myself talking about it because I'm just like, they get the cocoons out of the ocean, put them in the pool, and then their next plan is to then go back to the ocean to be taken back up to space. Why not just take them up to space as you're taking them out of the ocean? Because <laughs> then there wouldn't be a movie. <laughs> exactly. So there, there's the pass. There's the pass. There's the yep. one free pass every movie gets from me. You know? So anyway, they go, then the uh, the geriatrics, and I don't mean disrespect by saying that. It's just the best way to describe it. They're old people in a retirement home. Uh, they go back to the pool one day, and there's three you know, we know they're cocoons, but they look like giant pieces of crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just in the box, they're sinkers. They're sink- there's three gigantic sinkers in the bottom of the pool. <laughs> now, if I was swimming in somebody's pool illegally, and then I see that, I'm not getting in the fucking pool. <laughs> I don't know what this is. <laughs> and I've seen too many movies to <laughs> be a little, uh, a little more cautious about doing it. But they, Wilford Brimley just jumps in. You know, oh, no worries. I don't care where these things are. We're just going to go swimming. Well, and here's here's I don't explain it all. It's just like apparently the Antarians, and I think that's the name of the aliens, something like this. I'm definitely definitely in the ballpark. Basically, the cocoons in the water, because they kind of live forever. So, excuse me, the cocoons are making, make the old people young again or feel young. But it's kind of, it's not like a forever thing. It's kind of like they get a shot of B12 for swimming in the pool when they're energetic. And you get the you get this great montage of, uh, after they keep consistently swimming in the pool. They take their wives out for a night on the town, and <laughs> Don Amici like totally does these break dancing moves, which uh, you can clearly see it is some professional break dancer in a rubber old man mask. Uh, the cuts that's the thing. Eighties movies in high def. That's the downside of revisiting to them too. A lot of the illusion of uh, the makeup and all that kind of stuff definitely gets more precedence or is more uh what's what i'm looking for more uh relevant and more uh easily identified or seen when you watch these movies in 1080p mm-hmm. or 4k some of them you know so that does kind of take some of the the magic out it takes you out of the movie which is you know it is unfortunate but hey i mean you know movie making evolves and continues to evolve uh so that, i'm not you know it's just funny to notice but it's not you know it's not like a game change uh, a movie killer or anything like that uh, but anyway, so they're getting younger, and then they get busted in that opening scene. That's where they get busted for using the pool with the cocoons, mm. and the aliens are like, you know, scare them away. They go to the cops. Cops obviously don't believe old people saying that there's aliens in the in this pool, which obviously would, is exactly right. That's what would happen. There's kind of the dance. There's a yeah. watch, watching the trailer. That was a little clip of the dance and stuff right there. Um, yeah, that's the scene, but they don't mm. go into it in the trailer. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so then Wilford Brimley comes back and apologizes and says, hey, we're sorry. You know, but it's making us younger. You know, we don't know. We don't care what you're doing. We just want to use the pool still. You know, can we have your permission to use the pool? 
Brian Dennehy being a surprisingly rational act character in this movie after, you know, his iconic portrayal in First Blood. He's like, yeah, sure. But, you know, just y'all. Don't tell anybody. Keep it secret. You know, <laughs> no problem. So, of course, eventually, you know, it builds. Well, it's, you know, this is where the drama comes in. There's one old guy I didn't mention uh, in the cast. I should have because uh, he's kind of the, really the heart of the film. I think Joe might be his name in the movie. Uh but anyway, he's, he doesn't use the pool. He's like, it's making you young, and it's making you forget what you're doing here, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and his wife, Rose, is, you know, they're all old. I mean, you know, so you got to have, this is a movie about old people and growing old and pretty much the fear of death. So guess what has to happen? Somebody has to die. And it's his wife, Rose. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's, it's a very heartbreaking scene because they're watching TV, comes back with the water, and she's gone. You know, it's something that a lot of us, Jack Guilford, is, is that it, Jesse? I can't see yeah, the screen. Yeah. Small. It's uh, his character. Great. Bernie. Actor, great actor. Bernie. That's it. Yeah. Not, 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 not the weekend at Bernie's Bernie. <laughs> right. uh, this guy's very much alive. Uh, honestly, Don Amici did great, but Jack Guilford should have gotten the, the Academy Award for this film. If, the, if I had to pick the best performance in this film, 110% him. Uh, his acting when his wife dies, it's heartbreaking. And then in the end, when they're all going up to space and he comes and says he's staying, it's so it's that is the heart and soul of this film that makes it, it good, despite some of the huge jumps in logic and that stuff. Kind of getting ahead of myself. Anyway, so to wrap up the synopsis, the old people, they're, uh, uh, they're, you know, they're going out there breakdancing. Uh, Hugh <laughs> Cronin's character actually cheats on his wife, <laughs> Jessica Tandy, <laughs> in the film. So they're getting they're estranged. And uh, and that's a good moment for them too. They they do get back together because basically, what happens is they're getting so young. The other people in the retirement home are like, "What? It's you know, uh, well, Bernie confronts them like it's this pool. It's making you young. It's making you do stupid things. You know, blah blah blah." And then the other old he causes a scene at the in the cafeteria. All the old people that pool makes you young. They all all these this <laughs> army of old people run to this pool and all jump in. And like children, it's hilarious. One, two of them are actually taking one of the cocoons out and banging it on the wall on the uh, <laughs> side of the pool. Like, doom, doom. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and of course, Brian Dennehy catches them and like, what? And like, get out, get out. Rightfully so. Right. You know, why would the first thing you do would be take one of these things out of the pool? You know, it's just, but you have to give them a reason to get out. So anyway, he chases them all away. They open up. It's just the, the 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 main characters then with Brian Denny. He opens up the cocoon, and one of the Antarians is like, Ugh. <laughs> it's obviously a puppet. Good good effects. It dies. One of them dies, you know, basically because the old people jumped in <laughs> and sucked out all the life energy is how they kind of pass it off. And this is kind of the thing like, uh, you know, this is another pass you have to give. This is this looks like it, right? Close. Yeah, they're like, yeah, that's the scene we're watching now, Jesse. Here, it just oh, comes okay. off like this. See. Oh, somebody, somebody else is. Yeah, I was going to say, is, uh, someone's doing the voiceover that, for that's it. not the film. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, so that one dies. They like, you know, can't use the pool anymore. Blah, blah, blah. They're all getting old. And then at this point, uh, Bernie's wife passes away. And like he brings her back to the pool that night. That kind of scene we were watching off camera or off stream, uh, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got her in the water. And, he's, and it's so sad. Again, this is the moment. His character and everything about him, his character, is what is the heart of this movie. It make his his arc makes this a good movie, in my opinion. I'm, I'm Team Bernie in this movie. Uh, he, then he she's dead. He carries her almost like Frankenstein uh, through the darkness to the pool, puts her in. He's just sitting there like you know. It's such a sweet, sad moment. 
you know, and of course the older you get, it's like, wow, like, you know, one day me or my wife is going to be in that situation, you know, uh, must be taken out together. <laughs> like right. a Notebook, uh, which fingers crossed. Thelma and Louise <laughs> I mean, style. Jesse, it's too, it's too sad. <laughs> um, but anyway, I see like, that's what I say, like very Frankenstein universal horror monster kind of shot there. Um, sorry if you're, if you're listening to it, but you're not going to see it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, and then yeah. some dinner, he comes down like, you know, sorry, it's all, you know, it's all used up, you know? So the old, all the old people jumping in used it up. But how did they put it in the pool in the first place? Like, why can't they just re-enter? You know, <laughs> they just pass it off. It's like, it's done. We can't do anything. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. well, Brian Denny just puts his hand in the pool, which we saw in the opening or listened to in the opening. And I guess that's what, like, you know, revitalizes them. Why couldn't they all just get in the pool and do that? Unless there's deleted scenes where it shows them, act, you know, one line, like, we've given all we can. We can't revitalize the pool. Like, it's not explained. Again, Horror movies, you don't have to explain something to make it scarier. Sci-fi, you need a little bit, even just a line, just to maintain that disbelief in a sci-fi film. Because sci-fi, again, sci-fi is a different monster, so to speak. You know, you have to keep mm. it grounded but fantastic. There's a, there's a, you know, there's a good balancing act that good sci-fi does. You know, that's why some bad sci-fi films, there's too much that li- they leave up to you, and you have to fill in the pieces yourself, and that makes it less entertaining, less. Uh, provocative is the wrong word. Less meaningful, I guess, depending on what you're trying to say. You know, so this film, you, you got to give it a couple of passes. You can't just give it, you know, like I said, every film gets at least one pass from me on one thing. But when I have to start giving you like multiple passes, it's like, okay, you got to like something there needed to be worked on a little more, a little more developed. Even just a throwaway exposition ADR off camera line mm-hmm. <laughs> just to kind of, you know, to keep you in the moment. And, that, and especially when you're. In this film, when you have the emotion of it with Bernie and the end with the grandson, which is really, really good moments uh, in this film, uh, they're just kind of sour because you have to go immediately to disbelief. You're back to, okay, this is a good moment. Oh, now I'm back to like, I have to accept this for this story to keep going uh, the way it's going. But anyway, in the end, uh, let's see. uh, By then he's telling Wilford Brimley, you know, like, uh, well, we can't do it. Not all going to die now. We failed. And Wilford was like, well, we'll help you. So all the old people, along with Steve Gutenberg, load all the cocoons up onto a boat. And then after they kind of load them up, Brian Denny says to Wolfram, like, well, you know, there's room for more. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Hold on. They don't they, they have to bring the cocoons back to the ocean. Mm. For some reason, the ocean can still heal them where the pool can't. Again, they don't explain it. This is just this is just to get the plot going. Right. They have to bring the cocoon. Oh, you know, we brought them all out of the ocean to the pool. Now we got to bring them all back to the ocean in the middle of the night with geriatric scuba divers in Florida, <laughs> which is teeming with reef sharks, tiger sharks, bull sharks. Very dangerous for night diving with old people <laughs> with these cocoons. Anyway, they do it. They have the cocoons back under the ocean, so they're safe. For now, and then Brian Henry's like, "Well, you know, we can't. We're not bringing our twenty people back, but we can fit about thirty of your people if y'all want to come and be teachers for our society, which is a cool idea. You know, except that's that's totally fine." Uh, so he's, they go tell all the people at the nursing home, all the old people are going to sneak out and go back. Uh, but here's where like the real philosophical thing comes in, where they're like, you know, we can go with them, and you know, we'll live forever. You know, we don't have to die here. We can go and live forever. And that's where Bernie's like, no, I'm not going. They're like, why not, Bernie? Why not? They're all on the boat. And he's on the dock. And he's like, because she's here. He's talking about his wife. And that, and when he says that, it's just like, God damn it, man. <laughs> you the man, Bernie. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, when I think about it, like Don Amici's character and his wife, 
They don't, they don't like, they don't, they don't say that they have any children or grandkids or anything. So they don't really have, they have no reason to stay here. Same thing with Steve Gutenberg's character, who apparently isn't even invited, but we'll touch on that in a minute. Cause that's the most <laughs> disturbing part of this film. But, uh, Wilford Brimley, they have these nice moments with Barrett Oliver and his, you know, his grandson, like they love hanging out and all that. Uh, you know, he loves his grandfather. They really don't give any information about his mom, you know, except in the end where him, the grandson and the mom lead the, the police to him. So then you have the police chase in the water. Uh, which is it, it, it works, but again, it's not, you know, the sentimentality is kind of lost because, you know, if, if I was in my position, I have a daughter now there, I would not go with a, you know, as much as I would want to, I would not go live forever with aliens and never see her again. Right. That's not what I would do because <laughs> to me, it, it's more, I would rather stay here on earth and watch her, her life and then die. Then go live with a- forever with aliens and never see her again. That's what I like. There's not even a question in my mind that I would I would I would not go with them. Now if they could take all of us with them, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But you have to. You know, I'm not leaving my, my. You know, he him. Now to be honest, I haven't seen the sequel since the 80s either. I think when they come back in the sequel, I think they they do stay. If I well, you know, we'll wait till we get another case of sequelitis to actually confirm that. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, you know, he just abandons his family. Now, granted, you're old, but that doesn't mean your family doesn't want you here. You know, and you know, and he doesn't. His grandson's the only him. His grandson and Steve Gutenberg are the only. That's a good stunt, by the way, with the kid. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it wasn't him, the stunt person. Um, but you know, him and Steve Gutenberg are the only people that know it was aliens. Hmm. There is zero evidence that aliens took these old people. But anyway, let me, I'll get, let me get to that because I'm getting, I'm getting hyped up because I got to talk about that because it's disturbing. <laughs> anyway, so they go, they, you know, the old people go on the boat. They go up. The cops chase them. Uh, Barrett Oliver's on the boat like, I don't want you to go, Grandpa. I don't want you to go. Yet stone cold Wilford Brimley. Sorry, son. I'm going to go live forever. You got to get out of here. Okay, Grandpa. <laughs> and it's a good moment with them. You know, it, that, that's a good story in this film. But they don't give it, I think, the true telling that it deserves. They do just enough for you to see it, but it doesn't go far enough to tug on the heartstrings, like with Bernie and his wife. That's the heart of the movie. Like the grandson and Wilford Brimley should have really been the kind of the clincher. And it's close. It's good. There's good moments in there, but it doesn't quite do it for me. Mm. It's it's all about Bernie, like I said in this movie. But anyway, the cops, the Coast Guard are after him. Like, where are you? You know, why are you geriatrics on a boat in the middle of the night? You know, stop, pull your boat over. <laughs> so just and, and then, you know, to stop the literal Navy that's chasing them, Barrett Oliver jumps into the water and every single pursuing boat stops to rescue the kid that goes overboard. Oh, allowing the boat, the Goots boat to somehow slip away. And then the uh, <laughs> fog rolls in, the aliens come, they take the boat up. But not before Brian Dennehy gives Steve Gutenberg a stack of ones and says, <laughs> thanks, um, thanks for your boat. Uh, we'll see you later. You're not invited. He doesn't say he's not invited, but see, his character has no reason, no reason to stay. He's behind on his rent at the, for his boat and all this kind of stuff. He's in love with the alien chick, which he's also kind of a dick because when they make love, quote unquote, he's like, uh, you're not going to take off your skin, are you? <laughs> Which is blatant. That'd be gross. You know, I don't want I don't want you for who you are on the inside. I want this outside version. Yeah. I'm just here to look at like, you. Exactly. <laughs> I'm watching this. I'm like, wow, this is definitely an 80s movie. Yeah. 
<laughs> no man, you know, no respectable human talks that way to, well, granted she's an alien, but nevertheless, you're saying, I don't want what's on the inside. I want this outside thing only. If you're gonna take your skin off, I'm not gonna, I don't love you anymore. Terrible, <laughs> terrible philosophy there, Scoots. But anyway, so then Steve Gutenberg gives a Star Wars quote, then jumps off the boat into the wa- into the middle of the uh, Atlantic Ocean or the Gulf. I'm not sure which side they're on. And uh, the boat flies up. They all disappear. He's alone in a boat, in a life raft, in the middle of the ocean. Or, you know, not the, necessarily the middle of the ocean because, let's face it, that boat can't get that far. <laughs> it's a small boat. You know, he's, you know, m- miles offshore, alone in a boat. Bunch a of fake raft. dolphins. <laughs> Yeah, with these fake dolphin heads that bob up like quartz that look terrible. Uh, and uh, with a pillowcase full of money. The old people in the boat are gone. He is going to jail for the rest of his life. There's no evidence for the UFO. Now, granted, again, haven't seen the sequel forever. Maybe they explain it in the first five minutes of Cocoon the Return. Won't know until we uh, revisit it for sequelitis. But anyway, it fades to black. The UFO goes off to space back to their home planet. The next hard cut we get the funeral of all <laughs> these old people. And it ends with uh, Barrett Oliver just looking behind him at the sky and smiling. So cute little ending. However, Steve Gutenberg is arrested for murdering 30 kidnapping and murdering 30 people. There's no evidence. He's screaming aliens. He's obviously he's in a <laughs> mental institution for the rest of his life. He doesn't get to keep the money that uh, Walter gave him. It's a horrible ending for his character. Yeah. You know, and he, all you have to do to solve it, everybody sees that happen. Everybody. Yeah, you know, the, that's true. You know, show the boats. The the uh, his boat gets a little further away to where it's still in frame of the police. And everybody's like, what the hell is that? And the UFO yep. comes and takes him away. And it's like, nobody's going to believe this. And then you, you know, and then you can, and then everything is fine. Again, mm-hmm. this movie needed, you know, deleted scenes, which I don't know if it has any or not, to make the story solid. It's there's there, there are plot holes here, and again, I give passes. Some plot holes, you know, you can explain, you know, quickly in your mind, and you can keep watching a movie. This one just has so many right near the end that's just like, okay, this not, it, it's falling apart. Uh, nevertheless, it's a good movie. I enjoyed watching it, despite. <laughs> character completely getting screwed over by these aliens here on earth and uh wilford brimley completely abandoning his abandoning his family you know on one hand i can see oh you're about to die you're gonna live forever but hey guess what your daughter her husband her children his children you're never gonna see him again and they're gonna die and your and your, your own daughter thinks that you're dead <laughs> Your grandson's no, mom. It's okay. Aliens took him. Oh, honey, that crazy man who murdered your grandparents said that. It's not <laughs> true, sweetie. But mom, it is. No, you're brainwashed. And her, his daughter becomes an alcoholic because of this, and he becomes crazy in school and picked on, and becomes a school shooter because of all this, <laughs> you know, a craziness that he's getting because of the situation. It's not a good ending. It's terrible for the the you know the residual characters left behind. That's where the story is. Yeah, Even the return should have been a hard R. Horrible movie about what happened to these people. <laughs> and then the, the adult, the grandparents come back, the old people come back like, well, I guess we really kind of screwed over our families here. <laughs> but anyway, again, I'm, I'm bloviating that aspect of the film, but it, it is definitely worth mentioning. Definitely kind of took me out of it at the end. But uh, as I said, like my score personally, I'd give it a, I'm, I'm like with IMDb. I give it a 6.5. It's well, it's, you know, there's some eighties trickery film trickery going on. The effects aren't bad. It actually won the Oscar for best visual effects. 
which uh, let me pull up my internet real quick because uh, yeah. No, this was 19. It was the Academy. It was Academy Awards in 86, honoring films that were in 85. Uh, but yeah, the, the the other nominees for best cinematography. I'm sorry, uh, best visual effects. The nominees were only three: Cocoon, Return to Oz, and Young Sherlock Holmes. Now, let me just mention now: Return to Oz. You know, it had some visual effects, but it had honestly, the more I think about it, it had more practical effects. Yeah. You know, maybe best makeup. Which best makeup? <laughs> you had mask, color purple, and Remo Williams. The Adventure Begins. Mask, I can see being nominated for sure. And kind of winning. But, I mean, you also had a Nightmare on Elm Street entry, a Friday the 13th entry. Fright Night was uh, this year, too. But Academy doesn't care about horror movies, you know, practically ever. But, anyway, back to visual effects. You know, the effects in this movie, the visual effects, because CG effects, weren't necessarily bad by any, at the time by any stretch of the imagination. Today they look terrible. Excuse me. Or dated, I should say. But this was the same year as Back to the Future. Yeah. And Back to the Future was not even nominated for Best Visual Effects. Now, hold on. Before I say that, let me let me just maybe the day it was released or its release date, maybe push it to the next year. Let me just see. Nope. The next year, Aliens won. So, uh, yeah, Back to the Future was not even nominated the year it came out for Best Visual Effects. And it Oops. was nominated over and lost over motherfucking Cocoon. <laughs> so yeah, hard to disagree on that. Nominated for best writing, best sound, and best music only. Uh, wow. Wait, it won best effects, sound effects editing. Hmm. Oscars in 86. That's, uh, so maybe, it, maybe that's why it wasn't nominated this year. So maybe yeah. it was nominated for stuff last. I mean, where am I? Oh, close it out. The next year. Yeah, let's see. Best effects and sound effects only, but best effects visual, yeah, Cocoon won. Yep. Nope. <laughs> Not even. That's like Starship Troopers. I think Starship Troopers lost the Titanic. Hmm. It should be. You know, Titanic had great effects. Don't get me wrong. But Starship Troopers, a lot of those effects still hold up today. And honestly, Titanic's does too. But let's face it, most people who voted for the Academy saw Titanic because it was the biggest movie ever made. Whereas Starship Troopers, though it's uh, you know made money at its time, it was not the it's not as big as it was when it came out as it is now. You know, now it's a classic, it's a cult classic. Back then, it was like, dude, you seen this? No, you need to watch it. Holy shit, it's an amazing movie. Anyway, that's for '90s revisited. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, so yeah, Cocoon. It's uh, overall, I liked it. It's just. Man, it's like there, there's so much potential. Mm-hmm. And you, honestly, you could definitely see Ron Howard's uh, storytelling skills grow or like how like, you know, he has that that talent there. And, and you de- like take Apollo 13 and compare it to this. Apollo 13 is so solid with the drama. The You know, Ed Harris in that movie should have got the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for that film by far. One of his best performances in Apollo 13. Just, you know, I, granted, I haven't watched Apollo 13 in forever. But, you know, I don't remember gaping plot holes that really just kind of are a detriment to the story that you can't, you know, give it the pass or or anything like that to kind of ease it over to get over it. This film, so much potential. I see why it was popular. I see it was was why it was well received. But revisiting it, it's definitely an 80s movie with those just jumps. Kind of like how 70, I've mentioned before on the podcast how 70s movies, a lot of time in a 70s movie, you're watching a movie, it's good, and all of a sudden it just ends. 70s movies just end. Yeah. Just poop. It's over. Wait. 
like the no resolution, you know, the French connection, for example, uh, great film, but it, you know, and a, definitely a seventies movie, but it just kind of ends. It just, you know, and it's like, Oh, okay. And they never caught the guy. Okay. Bad right. ending. No, but it's just like, you're, you're still in the middle of the action and just like Popeye Doyle walks off camera, right. And it goes to black and they never caught the guy. Okay. Writing has improved. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In some every, cases. Every, every, yeah, and again, not not talking shit about seventies movies, but that's definitely a pattern that you see in seventies film. You know, Halloween's the same way, but again, horror movies operate differently from crime thrillers and stuff like that. Halloween ends the best ending, one of the best endings ever, is that abrupt ending. Like he's not there, he's still out there, and a the movie ends. Oh shit! Now I gotta walk home, and Michael Myers is still out there. Works hmm. for that genre. For other genres, you. There needs to be a little more resolution, <laughs> especially, you know, I'll use a French test because I just watched it because uh, Autumn had never seen it. I had to show her that car chase uh, and everything. But, yeah, uh, love the French connection, but that's for 70s revisited. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> I think part two was still a 70s movie, too, so I don't think we'd ever we'd do part two on here because I've actually never seen the French connection, too. Uh, but anyway, some trivia, some behind the scenes stuff uh, for Cocoon. Uh, Hume Cronin, in addition to being a starring in one of the Universal Horror movies, granted one of the later ones. Uh, but nevertheless, he was a Golden Gloves boxer, and he actually only had sight in one eye. And in the scene, which where uh, Bernie kind of blows the lid off the pool, and they're kind of—he gets in a fist fight with the orderlies. Uh, he has one eye; he has no depth perception. He actually hit one of the orderlies, not Clint Howard, the other guy, and knocked him the fuck out. Mm. And there is a scene in the film where the other orderly is just laying there, and I'm willing to bet it's it's the the coverage of from when he got knocked out because that dude he or otherwise he is one of the best unconscious actors I've ever seen because he just he looks like three sheets to the wind unconscious. Uh, and Jesse, you actually brought this up when we first started talking, but Wilford Brimley was <laughs> only 50 years old at the time of this film's production, 4950. Yeah. He had to have his hair dyed gray. He had to have liver spots and wrinkles applied to him to look as old as his compatriots. And in my opinion, he looked the oldest. <laughs> and speaking of Wilford Brimley, love the guy to death. He has the hairiest chest I have ever seen in my entire life. It was distracting in this movie. <laughs> and I don't, I, don't, I don't look at men's chests. Not my thing. But there's a, uh, when he goes to talk to uh, Walter about them using the pool, he's got a button-up shirt on, button all the way up. And his chest hair is sticking out the top of it. <laughs> Not just a little bit. I'm talking like a goddamn inch and a half of hair length. <laughs> like a bear. Oh, like, I'm not joking. You can see, like, he obviously he shaves his neck like most men have to do. But his chest hair is a fucking beard. <laughs> a legit beard. The scene where he's fishing with uh, Baird Oliver. Look, I mean, it's it's distracting. Like that's like I I only notice it because when the wind blows, I'm like, what the f is he wearing an ascot? No, it's his fucking chest hair. It is insane. Like you could grab it and get a hand, like a thick handful. I wish I had his chest hair on the top of my head right now. It is insane. This man's chest hair. It's disgusting. I find it so gross. It's a it's 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 Austin. It's Austin Powers. It's it's thicker and it's worse than Austin Powers' chest hair. Sorry, Wilford. Still a great actor, but goddamn, dude, you got to shake. You should have shaved the chest. Uh, <laughs> Steve Gutenberg, sorry to digress, but it was, it was, it was just like, what the? Because I'm watching him when he has this collared shirt. I'm like, what is sticking out of his his shirt? What is that? And then, like, then the next, and then when it shows him with the shirt, I'm like, oh my god! Because in the pool scenes, he's all wet, so it's all flat. 
you know, it's like obviously when the you know men when you get out of the, when your body hair when you get out of the shower or anything you know it's wet it's flat, but when it's dry and blowing in the wind, I mean it's like freaking you know what's a L'Oreal or not or what it was hair commercials you know with where they're showing the hair as they're freshly washing it, fruit teas or whatever. Yeah, you know, that's I don't even know the, I don't even know that's any of them. <laughs> yeah, any of the any of those. So, yeah, anyway, moving on from Wilford Brimley's chest hair, uh, the Goot, Steve Gutenberg, uh, he worked on this movie for less than his usual fee because, again, this is mid-'80s. Steve Gutenberg was hot shit, Police Academy, Three Men and a Baby. Uh, he, he worked for less because he really liked the script, and he really wanted to work with Ron Howard. So props to Steve Gutenberg for, you know, not being a diva and, you know, hey, I'm, I like the, I believe in the script. I want to work with you. Sure, I'll, I'll make less, you know. So hmm. seems like a good guy. He's also does uh, kind of Wikipedia him while we were watching it, but you really don't see him in much. I mean, he was in Lava Spiders on Sci-Fi is the last thing I can remember seeing him in. Uh, and I think his character from that made a kind of cameo in the last Sharknado or something because it was that time. Uh, but yeah, he seems like a pretty good, uh, pretty good dude in reality. Hmm. And I thought this was it. This was here's one of the most interesting behind the scenes things about Cocoon, I think, because he mentioned Back to the Future this same year. Uh, Robert Zemeckis, director of Back to the Future, was originally going to direct Cocoon, but his previous film, Romancing the Stone, which will also be covered soon in the podcast, is one of uh, one of those I grew up with a lot and haven't watched it since, because uh, Michael Douglas. I like Michael Douglas, mm. and that's a horrible impression. But as you know, on this podcast, I do bad impressions. <laughs> uh, but Romancing the Stone in the test screening did terrible. Now... To fill you a little sneak peek of that podcast, Romancing the Stone was a big hit and has a sequel called Jewel of the Nile. It didn't, Romancing the Stone ended up being a really big hit and is, a, from my memory, a pretty damn good movie. Uh, but studio executives, as we all know, are infallible and make the, only the best decisions for their movies. Said, uh, yeah, Bob, this movie's not doing well. We're not going to direct Cocoon. We're going to go Ron Howard. But Cocoon comes out, does well. Romancing the Stone comes out and does well. Studio's like, well, Bob, hey, yeah, sorry about the Cocoon thing. What's this movie about time travel that you want to do? <laughs> so basically, him not getting Cocoon and Romancing the Stone doing bad in test screenings but doing great in the box office is what paved the road where we're going, we don't need roads, for Back to the Future. So pretty much we you know, almost didn't get Back to the Future at all, not necessarily because of this film, but this film is in that story. Mm. So I thought it was very interesting and, you know, a lot of times in movies, things have a really great way of working out, you know, down the road. Like, oh, this actor was in this and they couldn't be in this, but that they saw him and what they were in and that got him the role in this, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so a lot of time that works out. However, we always do like to ponder the question, what if? And for the Gutenberg role of Jack, they actually considered one of the greatest thespians, the greatest <laughs> actors of all time. That's right. Sir Nicholas Cage was considered for the role of Jack Bonner. And this was 85 Cage. Mm, Vampire's yeah. Kiss, uh, Raising Arizona, I think was a little later or maybe like a year later. You know, amazing. Like it, it now it would have made uh, uh, Gutenberg. I like you. You're great in this. You're, you're, you're Steve Gutenberg in this. You're, you know, you were the right character for this, the tone of this film. However, I would have loved to have seen Nicolas Cage in this film. Uh, you're not, you're not going to take off your skin, are you? I don't, I don't want to trust your skin. Where's your skin? Where's the skin? You know, would have been great. However, it turned, you know, I always want to see Nicolas Cage in everything. I wish he would, they would just deep fake him into every movie as every role. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, oh, man. Fortunately, it didn't happen. But, it, it, you know, 
again, things happen for a reason. Worked out great. Cocoon, you know, solid 6.5 from me. Uh, and it should also be noted, too, I do want to make special, um, make sure I mentioned the score for this film. Fantastic score. Who do we thank for that? We thank the legendary James Horner. Uh, most all the time, always works with Ron Howard, too. We worked on with him on uh, Willow, which is one of the one of my favorite scores. A lot of great th- different themes in Willow. Great fantasy theme. Uh, Apollo 13, another great score. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, meh. Uh, and A Beautiful Mind. Uh, so, you know, Howard loves Horner. And I, let me look him up real quick. I think Horner, I think Horner did the score for Titanic. Yeah, I got it up on the screen. Okay. Oh, whoops. Whoops. Let me. <laughs> Too many windows open. I've been doing all uh, this yeah. work this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staring at my notes on one half and then your screen's on the other half. So I'm just like zeroed in. But yeah, uh, Titanic, Avatar, Mask of Zorro. Did he do, who did Braveheart? Go down. Is, is Braveheart on there? It'd be in the late 90s. Yep. Oh, yep, Braveheart. Yep, there you go. So James Warner, you know, I'd put him in top five. You know, John Williams, James Warner. Uh, who's the guy that – wait, is James Warner the one that died in the plane crash? Um, yes. Yep, yeah, he's the one that he, – yeah, he passed away. Uh, and I, I think like John Denver in like a personal plane or something like that. So unfortunately we're robbed of any future scores from James mm-hmm. Horner, but I mean, he's up there. He's one of, in my opinion, one of the best. I mean, top three off the top of my head, Horner or Williams, number one. I'm sorry. Like, I don't think you will ever beat John Williams in terms of score. Jaws, Star Wars, Superman, Indiana Jones, you know, come at me, Horner. Uh, James Horner's fantastic. And also in my top three, I would put Brian Tyler. Uh, he does a lot of contemporary scores, but he's done some of the most amazing pieces of music in films. A lot of people's never have never seen uh, for example, uh, Bubba Hotep. The score for Bubba Hotep is amazing. It's sad. Speaking of geriatrics, old Elvis and old uh, JFK. Uh, so if you haven't seen Bubba Hotep, watch that. That won't happen until 2000s revisited. But uh, does a his work. And when you see his IMDb page, oh, he's got some high profile stuff. But it's his. It's none of that stuff that you see like his known for stuff. Uh, if you want to hear great stuff by Brian Tyler, the Bubba Hotep soundtrack, and most importantly, the Children of Dune soundtrack from the sci-fi channel original i know you're like what (laughs) that score is amazing there are themes from that that are in half the trailer you when you listen to it the first thing if you've never seen it which most people didn't you're going to be like i've heard this music before well this is what it's from but it is ripped on so many trailers so many like when people make youtube videos they'll, they'll put it over you know um charlie chaplin's the great dictator speech in speech. Uh, mm. People use that score for like so many things. Like it's more, that score is more popular than the movie, which you should watch children do anyway. Cause if you're a Dune fan, it's decent. And also got an early performance by James McAvoy uh, as well. So actually the first time I saw children of Dune was the first time I heard Brian Tyler's music and saw James McAvoy in anything. Mm. So, but nevertheless, if you like film scores in, you know, the, in my top 10 film scores of all time, Children of Doom would be in my top 10. Absolutely. Because the, sw- I mean, it's, it is epic. It is epic. Mu- like when I'm listening to it, I can just see like the most amazing scenes from, and it, it applies to, and, and the reason you hear it in a lot of trailers and stuff is because it's so epic. It applies to any, and it's timeless. It's not like, you know, there's no, um, Japanese string instruments or, you know, uh, timpani or uh, steel drumming in it. You know what I mean? It's very, it fits everything. You could put it over a sci-fi film. You could put it over a Western. You could put it over a fantasy film. It would work. Mm. Wow. Excuse me. Sorry. It's an amazing score. So 
if you like film scores and you don't, and you haven't heard of those two, highest possible recommendation, 110%. Nice. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that kind of wraps it up for the most part. Gave the score again, uh, as we like to do in the podcast, in the real world, this released. <laughs> there it was. I almost got through the entire episode. The rust. Like a really, a really big flub. <laughs> One little piece of rust got in the old mental cog. Uh, but June 20, it released June 21st, 1985. Uh, a little less than a week earlier, two big things were actually founded. On June 15th, Studio Ghibli is founded in Tokyo, which uh, if you love animated films, uh, they're basically, you know, Disney East. Or people call them the Japanese Disney. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd argue they're, you know, in terms of films, they're better than Disney films. Mm. Uh, the animated ones, at least. Uh, most of them, I should say. You know, not all of them. But uh, definitely up there. Very uh, My Neighbor Totoro, uh, Princess Mononoke, Grave of Fireflies. Uh, they're on the screen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. Castles in the Sky. How's Moving Castle. Uh, tons of great, amazing animated films. Uh, some of them do tend to be a little long, but they're beautiful. They're they're fantastic, amazing films. If you've never heard of them or even watched any of them, uh, Spirited Away. Oh, God, how could I forget that one? Uh, great, amazing animated films. But also, two days later, the Discovery Channel is found. Mm. John Hendricks launches the Discovery Channel. Uh, and we are on the <laughs> tail end of Shark Week, uh, as in the Shark Week was last week, I believe. But uh, I gotta, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clap for the Discovery Channel for Shark Week this year. They had some great content this year. Mm. Usually I'm just kind of bored with it because it tends to be the same shit just recycled over and over. And of course, if you listen to this podcast, you know I love fucking love sharks. Uh, but Shark Week this year, aside from a little, a, my biggest, I only complain with it, too many like celebrities doing, you know, so-and-so does Shark Week. Okay, jackass Shark Week, which was actually great because the dude got bit and proved like you don't fuck with sharks, dude. Um. But anyway, uh, oh, and I, I, if you if, if, uh, speaking of Shark, I, I want to say they did. They had a special with uh, Robert Irwin, Steve's uh, son. Yeah, I mean, pulls at your heart. I mean, I was in tears. Like it was just like because I mean, I'm a big, a huge Steve, Ir- huge uh, Steve Irwin fan. So uh, that uh, that special they had with the Irwins for Shark Week was fantastic. And he's so much, he is so much, you know, he was two when his dad died, but you, mm-hmm. it's so crazy. He was only, t- you know, my daughter, well, she just turned three, you know, like I couldn't imagine, you know, he has no real memory of his dad, except, you know, the show and home videos and all that stuff, which is, is, is so heartbreaking, but he is, I mean, it is literally like watching Steve Irwin reincarnated. It's mm. great. Like just the way he like, he, you know, you can tell it's, and it's so natural, and you can. And like, I think what endeared Steve Irwin to a lot of young people when he was, you know, when he was making the Crocodile Hunter. Because I started watching the Crocodile Hunter because watching him get bit and screwed and messed up. Like, oh, got the snake here. <laughs> oh, got me. Don't worry, it's not venomous. Oh, got me again in the face. Oh, you little bugger, what you doing? You sweet little beautiful animal. You know, he had Steve Irwin was such a genuine human being. Like, you know, they say that the 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 uh, the wholesome Trinity: Bob Ross, Mister Rogers, Steve Irwin. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you could Steve Irwin was a you could tell just, you know, I've never heard anybody say a bad thing about him. Of course, people say that about all their heroes, but, you know, not right. saying he was perfect. Um, but, you know, I mean, he was I, I mean, I was pretty old. You know, I was old to be watching his show. You know, I wasn't in the target demographic. I mean, I was like in high school, you know, like 17, 18. But I fucking love the Crocodile Hunter. That show 
when Animal Planet would do like all night marathons, just we, you know, brother, we'd watch MXC on Spike, and then like, okay, let's see what else is on. Oh shit, it's Crocodile Hunter! Fuck yeah! You know, no Monster Vision tonight because it's Friday, so let's watch Crocodile Hunter all night. But anyway, Tangent City is back, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's just the way it goes here uh, on Eighties Revisited, uh, and then we also have our our good old Back to the Future segment. And since we have, uh, you have not heard the sultry tones of me and Jesse for over a year. Again, sorry, it's all my fault. Uh, but we're back, baby. Uh, so for a while, I didn't want to say "see you next week" yet, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, once we get a few out, I'll start saying that. I'll, I'll keep it. See you next time. But uh, anyway, uh, so what I want to do for this Back to the Future? Uh, well, actually, before I say anything, Jesse, uh, any you know, any any movies or anything modern, any games, anything uh, that you've been up to lately? Oh, uh, in the last year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what have you been doing for the past year, Jesse? Any, Not much. Let's go back to to May. Uh, any any notable movies or music or video games in the past <sighs> year that stick out to you? No, nah, mostly been just sitting in a blank room, <laughs> staring at a wall, right. waiting waiting to get this started. Board again. games. Yeah, I play a lot of board games. Um, yeah, as far as movies go, I mean, I'm hitting all the ones that a lot of people are hitting. Uh, but, you know, to go back over an entire year yeah. is... Uh, I'm about to do it, so get ready. All right, here we go. <laughs> well, not to cut you off, but... Uh, <laughs> no. So at first I thought, oh, let me go back and see since May of last year, what are some of the movies that came out that I would recommend? So this is quickie movie reviews. I'm just going to go through some of the big ones that... I went through all the movies that came out, and these are the ones that I remember and have something to say about. So really quickly, these are my – I'm not going to leave out movies that were bad because fuck them. Uh, but these are movies I recommend everybody see for the past year and a couple of months if you haven't already. Uh, so Relic, uh, not the 90s movie with um, Tom Sizemore and Penelope Ann Miller. But this is – speaking of old people, it's another old movie, old person movie. It's mm. kind of a horror thriller, very, very interesting, good movie. Uh, not a lot. It's one of those kind of not low, not low budget, but you know, it's not one a lot of people talked about. But mm. nevertheless, it's got the chick from uh, I think she's the voice of Merida and Brave, Emily Mortimer. No, no, no. I'm sorry. She was, I'm thinking of a different person. Sorry. Yeah, uh, Emily, Emily Mortimer. Is that her? Is it? Is, is she Merida? Am I, am I right on that? She's playing the role of Kay. Oh, is I'm she? Not, oh, okay. Is she in the, another I'm, movie? I'm, 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 I'm confusing her with the chick from No Country from Old Men. Uh, Josh Brolin's wife in No Country from Old Men. She does the voice of Merida, but they look they look very similar. That's oh, okay. I'm old. I'm 41 years old. Uh, <laughs> anyway, working on 42. Uh, but anyway, so see Relic, Greyhound with Tom Hanks. I thought it was going to be kind of boring. I have never, I haven't been on the edge of my seat for a movie in forever and i was on the edge of my seat for that film wow the tension, the tension that is built uh from them trying to find the subs it is the best like submarine movie and i in no offense das boot like let me say it's the it's the best submarine movie in a long time because mm. <laughs> das, das boot we'll have to cover on the podcast it's a fantastic movie i actually assume tension, movies shot in baton rouge aren't great <laughs> yeah usually uh but this but Greyhound, it's kind of light on this. This movie's all about, you know, the tension. I like legit. I'm like, I had to like, I consciously would realize that I was squeezing my hands, like, you know, <laughs> uh, clenching my fist in some parts. The tension is amazing in this film. And because going into it, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a drama. They're on the surface trying to hunt subs. How's, you know, I didn't, I did not expect it to be as riveting as it was. Absolutely riveting. Highest possible recommendation. 
uh, you know, it's not Tom Hanks' best acting role because I mean, it's I mean, he's great in it. Don't get me wrong, but this film. Greyhound is all about tension. Way better, because I see your screen, way better than that News of the World movie, which I was exceptionally disappointed in. Mm. It was boring as fuck. Super disappointed. Uh, Tom Hanks was great in it, don't get me wrong, but it's mm. Paul Greengrass, great director, did United 93, uh, started the Bourne trilogy and all that. But News of the World was garbage. Did not like it at all. Uh, mm. But Greyhound, I recommend it. Palm Springs with uh, Andy Lonely <laughs> Island, Sandberg. I did see that. Fan, Fantastic. Like that movie... I had no, I didn't know what it was about. I just knew it was a comedy, and my brother recommended. Same. Go into Palm Springs Blind. It is so good, so funny. It is a great movie. Totally caught me by surprise. Great film. Uh, Unhinged with Russell Crowe. Uh, also filmed in Baton Rouge or New Orleans, I think. Wow. Uh, I recommend that one because Russell Crowe is great in it. It's a thriller. It's it's kind of like it's a horror thriller. You know, basically he has a bad day and he goes <laughs> after this woman. But he is terrifying in it. He's great in it. It's worth watching just for Crow. And, it, and honestly, it's not terrible. It's not, I wouldn't give it like a nine or a 10 or an eight. You know, I'd say it's that six range. But it's great. He's great in it. Uh, uh, Tenant, that was my favorite film of last year. I love Tenant. Uh, I didn't need to see it twice to get it. Not. I'm not bragging. But if you pay attention to the movie, click by the end, you're like, damn. I, I haven't seen Tenet. it yet. I know it, you got to watch like I, like that was my fate last year. That was my favorite film, like in my top 10 wow. last year, which we didn't get to do because we didn't have an episode. <laughs> uh, Tenet. Well, actually, Tenet might have been this year. I can't remember. I have to check out. I have to see when I do. When we get to January this year. Uh, Tenet. I loved it. I know a lot of people have issues with it, but uh, Denzel's son, I forget his name, unfortunately, but he killed it. Um, Edward. I almost said Furlong. <laughs> uh, Twilight. God damn it. Uh, oh, my God. Wait, no, here's Ed. No. Uh. Fuck, he was Edward in Twilight, but he's his real his real name. Oh my god. He's Batman now. <laughs> Jesus, Batman. help me out, somebody. I know people are screaming it. It's Ed, uh, Robert oh Pattinson. Robert Jesus Christ, I cannot get his name out. Uh, but Robert Pattinson was fantastic in it. Like again, when Twilight was coming out, that's the only thing I knew that dude from, and then Harry Potter 4. But mm. Robert Pattinson, the lighthouse tenant. Uh good times. He is a if you if you wrote him off because oh, he's a good dude from Twilight. Fuck off. The dude is a phenomenal actor. Hundred percent. Like if like if I if I don't know, if I there was a go uh, GoFundMe is the wrong word, but if there was like a Trey, I will give you fifty dollars to watch Twilight. I would say, you know what? You just buy me, you know, you you buy, you, you give me enough to, to waiter some food and I'll fucking <laughs> watch it because I want to watch Robert Pattinson, because that dude's a good actor and the movie might be shit, but I bet he probably he's probably good in it. Right. Uh can't say I've never seen it. Never seen a single one of them. Same. But anyway. Uh, Tenant, I fucking loved it. Uh, Bill and Ted Three. It's not. It's the weakest of the trilogy, but it. it is. It's. It was so fun to watch because they both Keanu and Alex Winter fell back into those roles so easily. And another movie filmed in Louisiana, mm-hmm. uh, actually. Uh, not playing favorites, I promise. But <laughs> it's. It's nowhere near as good as the first or the second. But it's a great. You know, hey, one more time, dude. And that's what it is. It's it's yeah. it's it it, it it did what it needed to do. I didn't expect it to be better than any of them. I just want I wanted that nostalgia trip, and I wanted a good movie. It's a good movie, and it's a nostalgia trip. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keanu looks so weird, clean shaven though. Right. He right. looks like uh he looks like uh, Snape. There is <laughs> <laughs> Snape. Uh, another one. Uh, I got a lot. I need to, I need to get through these a little faster. <laughs> uh, Possessor. Uh, it's a sci-fi thriller with, directed by David Cronenberg's son. 
fantastic. It's got the girl from um, Mandy in it that played the uh, that played Mandy. Uh, it's got Jennifer Jason Lee. It's got Sean Bean, Scene Bean. Uh, Bean. Highest possible recommendation if you like uh, really. I don't want to. I don't want to give anything away. It's good if, if you like Cronenberg movies, you'll like Possessor. You can tell he has his dad's flair for that genre that David Cronenberg is known for, and that's what I'll leave it at. Uh, Freaky with Vince Vaughn, one of the funniest, most enjoyable movies I've seen in a long time. When I first saw it, it was announcing like Freaky Friday, but with a serial killer. That's fucking stupid. Blah blah blah. No, Vince Vaughn should have gotten a fucking Oscar nomination for this movie. <laughs> he is that good in it. Kid you wow. not. It is so this movie is so much fun. And again, I hate the whole Freaky Friday thing. Like they remade it once with Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh Kirk Cameron of all people and Dudley Moore did the like father like son movie, the boy version of it. All those suck. Freaky was great. They it's got some great horror movie kills in the beginning, and then the body swap happens, and Vince Vaughn acting like a female, like a a a, a young uh a, a teenage <laughs> female high school student. He fucking nails it. Never in my presence mentioned that Vince Vaughn is a bad actor. He does have some bad things. I'm not a fan of like wedding crashes and that stuff. But at him in this role, and I thought he was great in True Detective season two, he fucking nailed it. Great, fun movie. Really enjoyable. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, we're, we're still uh, six, seven, uh, five months from Christmas. But Fat Man with Mel Gibson and Walter uh, Goggins, fantastic. Uh, basically... Mel Gibson plays Santa Claus and Walter Goggins, the hitman that's going to kill Santa. That's all you need to know. It's fun. <laughs> it's not, it's not great. It's good. It's a, it's, it's a fun R rated bloody Christmas movie. Leave it at that. Uh, run with, uh, the chick from American horror story, Sarah Paulson, mm-hmm. uh, kind of along the lines of relic, great kind of thriller, very well acted, very well done. Uh, sound of metal, which that did get a lot of, uh, Praise of the Academy Awards, but that movie was amazing. Riz Ahmed loved him in um, Rogue One, and him in this movie, fantastic. It's mm. a great, it's a beautifully told story, and well, every aspect of the film is well done. Uh, unlike this next movie, but it's on here because it is just so <coughs> bad, it's good. Uh, Jiu Jitsu with Nicolas Cage, who <laughs> you see all over the movie, but he's in the movie for about 10 minutes, so I'm telling you now. But this movie is so bad and what they try to do with the camera work is so abysmal they tried they absolutely tried but this is a so bad it's good movie get the dudes over this is deadly prey hard ticket to hawaii like (laughs) not as good as those not as bad good as those two but it's it's in the top 10 this movie is so bad you can't look away it's and you know nicholas cage is great in it because he's great in everything again i'm biased but it's it's a terrible I'm telling you now it's a terrible movie. But it is so bad and stupid. It is completely Oops. entertaining. Find <laughs> the trailer. <laughs> so if you're looking for the next good bad movie, Jiu-Jitsu is it with Nicholas with Nick Cage. Uh Soul one of the one of the best scores of last year or this year whenever it came out, uh, the Pixar Soul with Jamie Foxx. Uh you know, actually the Academy Award-winning score, Trent Reznor. Mm. Uh, I think Soul was some of his best work in terms of film scores. Uh, I forget the name of the, the the particular piece. Let me see if I can find it. I'm reading the rest of this stuff. It's on my. I have a, I have a playlist on iTunes that's just film scores, and uh, that's where I. Anytime I hear something new, that's where it goes. 
uh, but it's not not have to look through 300 different film scores to find uh-huh. it anyway. So I read the name of the the particular piece from it, but it's 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 and Trent Reznor even before he went the score uh, you know doing film scores and all that stuff he did he did this uh, the score for Watchmen as well which was fantastic. Um, but he did uh, on like for example Downward Spiral. There's a song on the Downward Spiral called A Warmer Place. No, I mean uh, no singing. It's just music. And it is amazing. It's one of the most beautiful pieces of music that Nine Inch Nails has done. And then on um, the double album, oh shit, what's the double album called? Oh man, that had yeah, Ooh, and me, we're in this together now. And uh, that album, fragile, uh, the fragile. Oh, yeah. uh, there was a. Um, Did you get that from ice cream? <laughs> no, I'm still looking. I'm, I'm still, oh, okay, I'm, yeah, you got it. Time to find. Oh, Epiphany. Okay, I found it. Epiphany is the the song from Soul that's one of his best pieces of music, period, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was another instrumental song on the, I think, the disc two or the fragile. I think it was Can't Leave, All You Can't Leave Behind. That's all you two song. Shit. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, it's, it's the song from the three. I got him on the screen like, if you want to see him. Like, yeah, <laughs> if I see it, I'll recognize it. Right. Nope. Left disc and right disc. Uh, the way out is through into the void. Where is everybody? The mark has been made. Please, Starfuckers Inc. Com- hmm. Complication. I'm looking forward to joining you. Well, shit. Maybe I'm mistaken. Come down. Was it the fragile? Oh, oh there's also God. the left disc, which is the day the world went away. We're in this together, uh, just like you imagined. Just like, oh, they, just like you imagined. That's okay. it. I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah. Let me see if I. Because I, I got to make sure for myself on that. <laughs> Yeah, there's piano, uh, piano in it. Um, recorded in New Orleans. Nice. Nothing studios. Yep. Here I'm playing. I don't know if y'all probably won't hear it, but <laughs> yeah, that's it. Just like you imagined, is it for sure? Okay, hundred percent. That's it. Uh, but that's on the three hundred trailer. And if you, and again, that's more of a rocking like. Very good piece of music there. But promising young woman. Well, actually, you know what? I think Tenet came out this year. Or like, no, maybe it was, I don't know. Tenet was 2020. Okay. But when did it come like to digital and all that? Oh, I don't know that. That's what I got the, you know, because I know know it came out during the pandemic, but I didn't go to the theater in 2020. Right. During all that. So I'm not sure when it came to streaming. Uh, But Promising Young Woman, not a lot of people, oh, it's a feminist movie. But no, it's not. Oh, well, well, I guess, yes, it is. But it's feminism, feminist in the way that I believe is done well. Like, this is an issue that affects females, and this is how it is through their lens. Promising a Woman is an amazing movie, beautifully shot, fantastic soundtrack. Carrie Mulligan, to me, should have got the fucking Oscar this year over Frances McDormand because Nomadland was shit. There, I said it on record. I <laughs> fucking hated that movie. There was no point to it. I didn't get it. Maybe I'm dumb for that. Sorry, just my opinion. Carrie Mulligan should have got Best Actress and Promising a Woman was way better than motherfucking Nomadland. In rant, you should watch it. Uh, speaking of movies that got robbed at the Oscars, even though they were nominated, or not robbed because it did win one, but Judas and the Black Messiah, fantastic movie. I was completely enthralled. I knew Fred, Fred Williams, I think, is the real-life uh, guy. Fred Hampton, excuse Fred me. Fred Hampton, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was the real life character. Fred Williams is the actor from Dust Till Dawn, I think. <laughs> I think. I'm sorry, Fred. Uh, but anyway, amazing movie. And of course, a lot of people aren't going to see it. Oh, this, you know, 
because, you know, there's closet racist people that I'm not racist, but I'm not going to watch these movies. Uh, but Judas and the Black Messiah, amazing movie. Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel, I can never pronounce his last name, Kahula, Kahula. Kalu, sorry, I'm just gonna say the dude from Get Out because everybody won't recognize yeah. what I'm talking about. Like, I can't pronounce his last name. And he's gonna be in uh, Nope, the uh, recently announced uh, Jordan Peele's third uh, directorial movie. Ah. So that'll be interesting. Looking forward to that. I love Jordan Peele stuff. I know he's very deci- divisive, but I think he does a he does a great job. But anyway, Juice uh, like Messiah, great soundtrack, well acted. My beef with that film is or the not with the film, but the Academy Awards. They put both lead actors in the supporting actor category, hmm. which is bullshit. One of them's the main, one of them's the supporting. Daniel Kahula won for best supporting actor, which is fine, no problem there. But Lakeith Stanfield then should have been nominated, not for supporting actor, for best actor. Yeah. One of them, they shouldn't have been together in the same category, is what I'm getting at. That was unfair to them. Because they're the two main actors. One of them's the lead. One of them's the supporting. Now, in the in last year at the Academy Awards, or this past the past one, Anthony Hopkins won for the father. Hundred and ten percent. He the after watching that movie, like I before I watched the father, Anthony Hopkins was will always be Hannibal Lecter. After his performance in the father, no, like now I remember him as that character. Like when I first think of Anthony Hopkins. To me, the father is his piece de resistance or whatever, you know, the chef's kiss of his career. Hmm. It is an amazing film. His character in that movie is lovable, heartbreaking. He has every single emotion in one performance, and he absolutely deserved to win over everybody else nominated, including Chadwick Boseman, because everybody was thinking, oh, he's, you know, well, some people erroneously thought, oh, he got nominated because he died. No, go watch Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Well, there's a scene in that movie where, yeah, he earned that nomination with that scene. He was writing the whole movie, but there was one scene in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom where it's just like, damn. It's like, holy shit. Mm. Wow. Blown away. However, it, you know, that was, he was good in the whole movie, but he's a support, he's really a supporting character in that film uh, for the most part, as opposed mm. to Hopkins being the lead. Um, so despite my bitching about how they did the the two leads for Judas and the Black Messiah, Whoever was nominated against Hopkins, in my opinion, still shouldn't have won. Still wouldn't have beaten Anthony because that was a stack. I mean, that year, this year, it was a huge category. You had Hopkins, Gary Oldman, Stephen Yen from Inari, uh, Riz Ahmed, like I mentioned before, for Sound of Metal, and Chadwick Boseman. You could have thrown another one in. You could have thrown Lakeith in there, and it'd have been fine. But mm-hmm. again, still, my personal opinion, Hopkins hunt a million times over. And again, like I mean, in the category of greatness, I mean, you know, Stephen Yen out of nowhere. Turns into, you know, not that he's a bad actor, but you ne- we never saw him in something right. like that. And, you know, that's that's the thing that, that blew me like, wow. You know, so used to seeing him. You know, the last time I saw Stephen, Stephen Yen, he got his brains beat out of him by the comedian. <laughs> and then he's in this and he's in, you know, Minari, actually, Minari is a very 70s movie, honestly, because it just ends. Oh. You're watching all of a sudden like the credits pop up. I'm like, wait, what? That's it? OK, you know, good. But surprising that it, it ended that way. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, Juice of Messiah, recommend it. Going back to the cage, Willie's Wonderland. Uh, now, this is not a, again, this is not a good movie. It's a fun movie. I'm going to spoil something here, but you'll kind of see it in the first 10 minutes. Cage does not say a word in this movie. <laughs> He's a completely silent protagonist, and it's great. Again, there's this 
public opinion that Nicolas Cage is a bad actor. I completely disagree with that. He has been in some bad movies, and he has made some questionable choices in terms of some characters that he's played. Season of the Witch, Wicker Man. But to say he's a bad actor is a disservice to the talent the man actually has, in my personal opinion. And come Halloween season, we're going to cover Vampire's Kiss on this podcast. Because that's that's the meme that's the meme movie where you know you see him with that crazy smile and the point and pointing GIF and all that kind of stuff. But I per, and the spoiler for episodes down the road. But Nicolas Cage's performance in Vampire's Kiss is one of the greatest performances ever put on screen, and I will elaborate on that on that episode as to why. And I have proof that it is because based on a recent movie that came out that basically stole the premise of that movie. Made it comic booky. There's your only hint, and it won Oscars and numerous awards. So that's all I'll say about that. Uh, Godzilla versus Kong, loved it. Um, Could have used a little more Godzilla and a little more Kong, but the three matches, or you know, ten, I guess kind of like four matches, so to speak, uh, were more than enough to enjoy the visual spectacle. The human shit in the movie was the literal human shit was terrible. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's a Godzilla movie. Uh, you gotta have that. I mean. You don't have to have it, but in this, in the mind of this, we have to have somebody these people like. It's called Godzilla versus Kong, not little girl befriends, you know, behemoth, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I enjoyed all the monster stuff, totally enjoyed, had fun with it. I think they, they did go a little too far on some things, but overall, Kong submits to Godzilla as it fucking should be. <laughs> all is right with the world. I'm so, like, it, you know, let's be honest here, people. It's Kong versus Kong doesn't stand a chance, but they had to make him stand a chance. I understand it's a movie, but let's be honest. Godzilla in if if these Titans, if this was real, Kong would not stand a chance. They had to make Kong. You know, they had to throw in this line. He's still growing just to make him big enough to fight Godzilla. <laughs> Godzilla's always been bigger than Kong in every iteration of King Kong. Uh you know, you have to take the smallest version of Godzilla and the largest version of Kong for it to even be fair. And the original uh, Toho King Kong versus Godzilla, yeah, it's a Godzilla movie, but that's the start of, you know, Godzilla turning kitty, uh, you know, in terms of appealing to, you know, first Godzilla is a horror movie. I mean, people with children get stepped on and crushed in that movie. <laughs> and then Godzilla comes back. He's still kind of a bad guy. And then we have King Kong versus Godzilla, where Godzilla looks hilarious. He's no longer scary. Which is fine. That's the era of Godzilla we had. And that led, you know, the, uh, oh shit, the, oh, the era of Godzilla, it's the, not the, oh fuck, the Showa era. The Showa era of Godzilla is kind of the, the, that's the era that we saw on TBS. And then Mm, as we cover on the podcast, Godzilla 85, that's when Godzilla had the resurgence of being a villain again. Mm-hmm. He was Earth's protector before that, and then they rebooted Godzilla. And the 80s Godzilla, we will cover 80, the I think there's two, or maybe, no, I think there's two more in the 80s that we'll eventually get to as well. Um, but, you know, that made a big difference. I mean, Godzilla came back, and it looked better. He, he was bad again, but then they make him a good guy again, because Godzilla ends up always having to be a good guy, yeah. which I'm fine with. I love Godzilla, always. Uh, the new Mortal Kombat... <laughs> I haven't had a smile on my face that big in forever. Uh, there were parts that were not good, but the good greatly outweigh the bad. The original, the nineties Mortal Kombat to me is still better because, you know, honestly it's nostalgia and it's, you know, it's so quotable and it's lived in our brains rent free for years. But this new movie 
was fantastic. Um, for the most, again, there's bad, uh, there's some dings on it, but you know, the, the, I'll tell you right now when they, I wish they didn't put it in the trailer, but in the end I'm spoiling it now, but if you've seen the trailer and you listen to this podcast, I'm sure you've seen mortal Kombat. Um, but in the end when Scorpion appears and, that spear hits sub zero and get over it. And I, I, I mean, I was just like, yes. <laughs> uh, they handled all the fights so well with the powers in this one with sub zero's power. Like, you know, he freezes the gun when, as you see in the trailer, I mean, he freezes the gun when Jack shoot him, he freezes Jack's arms off. Uh, we actually, you know, in the first movie, in the, the PG 13 movie, we got quote unquote fatalities in this one. We get fatalities. We get Kung Lao's hat on the ground, body surfing the body over it. We get the soul steel, Kano heart, Kano's heart rip. This part right here, when in the music, in the new theme kicks in, dude, I was fucking. A- yep. <laughs> here we go. So good. No. Again, number number one ding about the movie, that character right there. I don't forgot his stupid name, but the guy that was <laughs> new created for the movie, to where his power was his animality. Quote, you know to. Make a reference to the sequel was that his skin becomes metal, like he basically becomes Colossus. Uh, okay. I forget what they called it in the movie, but that was that was what again they didn't need to explain it. This is a fantasy movie. Fantasies and others, sci-fi, you need to explain some things. Fantasy, you just gotta have a throwaway line. You don't have to literally explain that. Oh, he's manifesting his chi powers of being, um, you know, invincible to blades or whatever that was stupid should have just been johnny cage and you're done the mortal Kombat universe is so filled with amazing characters you could have filled this one with them and still had plenty left over to do cole that's his name his name was cole in this movie Mm. stupid character completely unneeded it could have been any numerous of the other existing characters and it would have been fine nobody would have complained but what's the biggest complaint this character is stupid (laughs) and rightfully so and he's the main character Mm. And you know, a lot of people complain, oh, Scorpion doesn't really appear to the last five minutes or ten minutes. But the last ten minutes are fucking epic. It's mm. great. Uh, and Hiroyuki Sonata, I think is the actor's name. He was in Sunshine. He was in Last Samurai, Westworld. Uh, he was the villain Hawkeye's chasing in Avengers Endgame. Fantastic. Perfect. He's, you know, he's an older guy. He's like 50-something. But he is the perfect, in my opinion, actor for Scorpion. He's got he's – A, he's a great actor. He looks the part. He's got the voice. You know, he's not. He might not be the most nimble, but Keanu Reeves made three John Wick, Wick flicks at over <laughs> fifty years of age, so it's fine. There's no need for it. You know, it's like uh, the new Black Widow movie, which, in my opinion, was garbage, absolute garbage. MC like MCU is getting by now with the lowest common denominator, and that's the sign that people have to start. St- like oh it was good for a, you know it was it was a bad MCU movie but it's still a good movie like no 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 Black Widow was not a good movie and oh you must hate women cuz you don't like Captain Marvel as much as whatever or you don't like Black Widow no Black Widow is one of my favorite comic book characters always has been a cuz she's redheaded and as a kid I had a thing for redheads still do she's a, she's a great comic book character love her in the comics the recent run uh, that she has with Yelena is, a, is one of the best runs in her series and the pre uh, and the previous one too. The, they've done her good in the comics. The movie does her wrong. Uh, Yelena, play, who plays who Florence Pugh plays, who I lo- who thank you know honestly, Scarlett Johansson is a great actress, but in hindsight, she was like she, she shouldn't have been Black Widow. <laughs> to me, to me, 
you know, oh, who should have been Trey? Charlize Theron. Oh, she's too old. Bullshit. Fury Road, Atomic Blonde. If you want, if you want to watch, if you want to watch the real Black Widow movie, just imagine they call her Nat- Natasha in Atomic Blonde, and it's the it's a better Black Mo- Widow mu- movie and representation of that character than anything we've seen on film before. Rant over. Black <laughs> Widow. It's a fun movie, but it's not a good movie. Did not like it, uh, mainly because uh, I, you know Captain America. Aside from the first movie, which is his, just his origin story, Winter Soldier, Civil War. Those are political thriller movies. Black Widow is a spy. Why was this not a spy thriller movie? No, it was an over-the-top MCU basic movie. It was a formulaic MCU movie. That's the problem with it. It should have been like, who's the fucking spy? Who's the double-crosser? Who really is Hmm. Taskmaster? Oh, shit, they fucked that up, too! (laughs) In addition to black, you know, top ten comic book characters, Black Widow's in my top ten, hundred percent. In my top five villains, Taskmaster. Ever since I was a kid, when he popped up in a comic, he looked badass. Had the skull face, the hood. He had a shield and a sword and a bow, and he could like beat up Captain America. This dude was the shit. Taskmaster is one of my hundred like top villains of all time of any any comic book like dr doom is 100 number one taskmaster is probably two or three i have to sit down and really think about it maybe not two but definitely you know at least top five hundred percent without even thinking about it and they fucked him over in this movie oh my god they ruined taskmaster in the movie i mean i i like the i like the idea of the twist but it is implemented so stupid so stupid Hmm. They ruined him, and then he look. He looks like. Remember when we were all playing airsoft, Jesse, and we, yeah. all, you know, we all kind of indulged and got like cool helmets and stuff. He looks like if we had a million a friend who was the son of Todd Graves, founder of Raising Canes, free promo for Raising Canes. And it's like, Dad, my my uh, you know, proletariat friends want to play airsoft. I need you know ten thousand dollars to get some airsoft equipment. Okay, son, <laughs> here you go. Take twenty. He looks like the dude that spent way too much money on his paintball stuff because he wanted to look cool, and you know. <laughs> And the thing is, like, they keep the little skull part on the bottom of the mask, but it he looks like fuck, fuck he's going to play paintball. He does look like now, he has I a under- slight smile as a skull yeah, face. It's, he lo- I, I understand he gets MCUified. He still has the hood, but honestly, no one. It, you don't, they don't. They don't explain why he has the helmet he has anyway. You know, so it could have just been a skull. They could have just made it the chrome skull. With the, and it, and it would have been fine. That visor is what ruins it for me, and it's not really a, even a skull. It just it looks dumb. It looks like a paintball helmet. <laughs> you know, I understand you got to make it you know look good on film, blah blah blah. But believe me, I've seen movies with skulls, as we all have, and a skull face with the hood would have looked fantastic. It'd look fine. No, they just they, again they overdo it, and it's garbage. Anyway, end of rant on Black Widow. I'm done with it. Uh, last recommendation in for one real. I just saw <laughs> because that's the second time rant over. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, but the, the uh, recent film I saw, which honestly surprised me at how good it was, because it's a sequel, and it's a sequel to A Quiet Place, which, as a parent, uh, I have actually quite the first one came out before I had my bet child. Like, I can't imagine, I remember, have you seen A Quiet Place, right, Jesse? Yes, the original, yeah. I can't imagine rewatching that movie now. I, I, it hit me in the heartstrings in the first one when Jim Halpert, you know, signs that, you know, Wakanda forever, that he loves his children and then gives his life to save them. 
amazing <laughs> moments. Like, you know, if I watch it again, I will. I, if, I, if I watch that movie again tonight or right now, when I get to that part, I will be a sobbing mess now that I actually have a child. Mm. Like I said earlier, when you have a kid, things hit you differently. Uh, but even when I didn't have a kid, that moment was like, I was like, oh, my God, like, damn. So good. Love the first one. Anyway, the second one. My first thought was like, do, I, do we really need a second one? Hmm. No. However, this sequel does everything a good sequel should do. It expands the world. It stays true to the original. And it keeps, it keeps the mythology intact. And what I mean by that is the rules are still—they don't throw in like, oh, there's a new version of the creature that can hear you even better. There's no bull, there's no, not that that's bullshit because uh, compare alien to aliens, you get that. But it, uh, uh, a better way to put it is it raises the stakes appropriately. Um, it's uh, the beginning is great. Uh, it's, it's kind of a prequel sequel. The opening is a prequel and then kind of shows you how it starts, which is great. And they don't spend that much. They spend exactly the amount of time they need to on it. And then it's up and running exactly where the first one left off. Literally. Mm. Which I, that's what, I, I love when movies do that, especially horror movies. Halloween, Halloween 2, Friday the 13th, you know, pick up right, you know, you're, de- you're, you're still in the moment. You're, these characters are still there, right where you left them, and here's what happens. Uh, I didn't know Cillian Murphy was in this movie based on the trailer, because he has a beard and a hat on and looks like a Alabama trucker. He, he's phenomenal in the movie. His character's arc is great. That's the one thing about this series so far, is that um, the character development... And how the 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 relationships of the characters in the movie in one and two work so well that even though Jim's gone, and I'm sorry, I mean he's still Jim Halbert to me. Sorry. Uh, uh, oh my God, Jim Krasinski's gone. John Krasinski. You still feel yeah. him, John, Yeah, John, sorry. <laughs> no, no, he's Jim Krasinski. Yeah, Jim. Uh, but you know, even though his character's gone at the end of the first movie, sorry if you haven't seen it, but you have plenty enough time. It's you still feel his loss in this film and the relationship to the other characters carries through. So it, it just, you're still there. It is a fantastic sequel. If you like the first one, you like this, you know, do I want to see a third one? You know, yes, because this one was so good, but also, you know, can lightning strike three times? Is it as good as the first? Mm. No. Is it a worthy sequel? Absolutely. Uh, Definitely recommend it. John Krasinski, is a fantastic director. I think he's done, and he wrote both of these too, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, you know, not saying he's perfect. There's, you know, there's a couple of beats. Maybe you could trim, you know, a little, you know, little things like that. Uh, also, actually, you know what? This movie could have ended earlier and it would have been better. And if you, if you see it, you, you might, if you watch it, you might know the exact moment where if, if, if I was a director, I would cut to black and then, the last 10 minutes would be the start of the next movie. And I would expand that to round out the trilogy, but it's you that way. Oh, wait, I see you got on the screen. I guess they're already saying they're going to do it. Well, I mean, it is on IMDb, but I don't know how much I trust this because it's a different director and John Krasinski is based off the idea by, so who knows if this is legit. Mm. I'd expect that in 2023. If they do like, Oh, it's a spinoff. I see. Oh, they're just calling it part Uh, three for now. I would be fine with like a HBO Max spinoff show or something mm-hmm. to where it's just another part of the world. And, you know, this, you know, leave if you're going to do a spinoff, do not be in the same location as these people be across the world. Do a World War Z style where it's different stories of how people, you know, of this universe. Totally fine with that. But don't be like, oh, yeah, 
My, my, I heard my friend died saving his kids at his farm and blah, blah, blah. Like, don't link this to the movies. Just have it expand the universe. Do what the Mandalorian did. Well, the Mandalorian still had the, the callbacks. Hmm. But um, Directed by the guy who uh, wrote and directed Mud. I'm not complaining about that because that film is amazing. So we got a good writer and a good director. Yep. But, uh, you know, I'm, it's like the whole, the whole, like the, the whole Star Wars sequel trilogy, like JJ does the first one. Oh, here, Ryan, you do this one. Oh, crap. We got bad word of mouth for this one. So um, why don't uh, why don't I come back and, you know, quote unquote, fix your mess? Uh, you know, you no, know, if of course, money talks in the industry. We all know that. Joaquin's like, I'm not going to do another Joker movie. Oh, here's $20 million. Okay, sure. Why not? <laughs> Might as well. You're going to do it anyway. Um, you know, so, but uh, I would, I, at least, you know, growing up in the 80s, we were, we were programmed to expect trilogies. <laughs> Star Wars, <laughs> Indiana Jones, you know, uh, horror movies notwithstanding, you know, but, you know, when I, as a kid, whenever I saw a part two, I always just automatically... Uh, automatically envision there would always be a part three. There's always going to be a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And honestly, in terms of story structure, trilogies are the best way to go. Beginning, middle, end. That simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, you know, then you have people like Peter Jackson with the Hobbit trilogy that take a 200 page book and make it three, two and a half hour fucking long movies. <laughs> uh, God, I still can't. God. <sighs> You're not going to tangent, Trey. You're not going to tangent. <sighs> We're almost okay, there. Anyway. We're almost yeah, there. Okay. Let's wrap it up. This has gone on a long time. Hope y'all are still here. Hope our uh, all of our old listeners. We still got the email active. I'm, ha- I'm, you know, this has been so much fun back in the podcasting chair uh, in California. <laughs> that is not even broken in from the two or three episodes we did. Uh, but it's, you know, Jesse, it's been a blast. I want to personally thank you. You know, for I know because uh, speaking of, you know, there, and we did get emails which I normally would read. I wanted to compile them. I didn't do that before this episode. I don't have a printer out here. But again, we had so many of our regulars contact us throughout this, you know, silence from us. Uh, again, mainly me. I'm, I'm not to blame here. <laughs> and, you know, just say, hey, hope everything's all right. Miss you guys. hundred percent. We appreciate it. Uh, you know, let us know that you're still listening. We're, you know, we're going to keep it going. Like I said, the only sign that this podcast is over for good is when we do, they live. I've said, we said that multiple times. That, <laughs> whenever this podcast, you know, decides to hang up the headsets for good and turn the power off, the last episode for '80s revisited will be they live. So whenever you see they live pop up, that's when you need to start worrying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hopefully, that, that that's still going to be a ways away. Again, we have. I know this is it's been over a year and a uh, year and a quarter since you've heard our our voices. But you know, we're still here. Everything you know, I'm doing good. Nobody in my immediate family had COVID. Jesse, if same. I memory serves me correctly. You know, you've been blessed with the same. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know what? I'm I, I'm 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 sorry that we didn't put out an episode a day over pandemic. <laughs> nothing better to do. Uh, you know, but had honestly, if, uh, I'm not blaming my daughter, but be because uh, eventually she will listen to this. Violet, you listen to this after I'm dead. Your daddy <laughs> loves you so much. But um, being home for a year, still, like, Violet only goes to daycare Tuesdays and Thursdays. Records, recording this Thursday, the uh, 27th of July, one uh, thirteen my time, <laughs> 3.13 your time. Uh, you know, she goes to daycare two days a week now, but for over a year, I got to spend every day with my daughter. And that was, you know, that was worth not doing the podcast for a year and a half. Uh, again, when she took naps, it was something that we were able to fit in when we recorded a few episodes while I was out here. Uh, but with Autumn working from home, I'm working from home and daddy daycare, 
you know, something had to give, and unfortunately, it was the podcast uh, for a while. But again, she's in daycare now. Me and Jesse are getting, you know, knocking the rust off. Uh, Jesse hasn't gone anywhere uh, with the iHeart Board Games channel on Twitch, yep. YouTube, Instagram, uh, all that stuff. So if you're a board game fan, and if you just like hearing Jesse's sexy voice, mm-hmm. he's on every episode, and it's great. Uh, some great content on there. Give him a like, give him a subscribe, and all that. Uh, he's killing it. Uh, speaking of that, Jesse, uh, you know, over the past year, I just got some recommendations from you for board games. Oh, yeah. I got to say, like, uh, and watching, you know, all y'all's top 10 and all that, uh, we ended up playing, uh, you gave me some recommendations. This is totally like ba- uh, inside baseball talk, but uh, I didn't get Wingspan, but I did get the digital version because, you you know, that's when y'all talk about a lot on y'all show. Yeah. And I- I've never played it on a table. Mm-hmm. But that game is so much fun. I've, I haven't had that much fun with a board, a digital board game since, uh, oh, excuse me, sorry, uh, Ticket to Ride. I guess that it, game, like, it had a good uh, tutorial in it. Yeah, like I picked it up. The only thing I, I don't have down is the scoring. Okay. I play it a cer- certain way, and then I'm like, oh, wait. Uh, oh, okay, this AI player did this. I don't, I, I don't play humans because until I kind of get <laughs> a little more into yeah. it. Uh, but it, just a such a odd game to be so good as good as it is it's about bird like collecting birds and shit yeah uh but the app because that's that's what really inspired me to look at the app because ronald said on your stream you know the app's really good and like you hear the actual sounds of the birds and get facts i'm like okay well that's yeah. kind of interesting you know it's that's true. fun and you know being, i mentioned before scores and soundtracks the score for the digital game is beautiful mm-hmm. i just I, I literally just sit outside and just <laughs> play the game on my patio and just listen to the birds you know i mean it's it's great so um uh, there's that. And of course, follow us. We follow I Heart Board Games and all their stuff. I mean, Jesse, you're putting out stuff like two, three times a week still, I believe. Uh, yeah, we're live four times a week, uh, 7 p.m. Central Time, twitch.tv slash heartboardgames, or you can watch all the videos over at youtube.com slash iheartboardgames. We leave the I out over on Twitch. There you go. So definitely do that if you, if you watch and listen to this. And don't forget, you know, we're on Facebook. Uh, now that we're back and I'm home during the day, I'm going to try mm-hmm. to get better at Twitter and all that kind of social media stuff. So like us on all I'm those. I'm still bad at that. Start posting some more. Uh, I mean, it's just, I don't, I, I guess because I'm 40 years old, I, I only use Facebook. <laughs> yeah. I can post pictures and post t- and type text. I don't need an app just to do 300 characters and an app just to do pictures when I can do it all on Facebook. That's what I don't understand, but that's just middle-aged man talking. Right. You know, I'm cool. Old man I'm yells at cloud. <laughs> You get that old 90s reference, but anyway, uh, yeah, so all that. And then um, should be back next week. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say just in case something comes up because I don't want to get everybody's hearts uh, broken again. Like, oh, they come back for one episode and they're gone. But we're not gone. Uh, if it's not, for whatever reason, it's not next week. We will, maybe it'll be bi weekly, but uh, as long as the schedule stays like it is, we'll be back to a weekly schedule unless something comes up in one of our lives. Uh, but other than that, you know, drop us an email. Let us know you're still listening. Again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you if you're still listening. And if you're new, mm-hmm. welcome. Don't go back to the first episode. <laughs> Start back. Like, I, here's what I found. Because I listened to several podcasts that I started, you know, maybe several episodes in. Mm-hmm. Many episodes in, some of them. I personally find it's best not to go back to episode one. I like going, this is just my preference. I like going just backwards, just if I start on episode 70, I'm going to go to 69, 68, mainly because it, when you do a podcast, one thing you notice when you go back to listen to your old episodes is how <laughs> terrible they sound, mm-hmm. how stupid you were. Because I mean, this, Idiot. Jesse, when was the first, like, I mean, it's been like 
over five, six, seven. It's been a long time since our first it's episode. It's like been eight years, I think. Yeah, and that and technology changed. I mean, the sound quality on the first episodes compared to what Jesse did through the evolution of it mm-hmm. is amazing. Uh, and all that. So, you know, oh, wow, I like this episode. Let me go back and listen to the first one. No, 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 no. <laughs> My suggestion is, <laughs> I mean, of course, if you listen to this episode all the way to the end to this part, you probably want to hear what we think of Big Trouble in Little China. But, you know, the po- podcasts evolve over time. Ours is a prime example of that. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm proud of everything that we've done, 100%. But uh, my suggestion, if you're a new listener, would be listen to the ones of movies that you like. Or maybe like, hey, I remember hearing about that movie. Let me let me listen to that episode. You know, think of the 80s revisited uh, page on iTunes, for example. as more like an old video store. Like, oh, I haven't seen that movie in forever. I want to listen to that episode. You know, I'd love for you to listen to every episode. But, you know... We're at the point now where, you know, there's still some heavy hitters in the 80s that we haven't covered because I, I try to space, you know, didn't want to do 200 episodes and then we're done of, of just hitting the big ones. You know, we have some cult films. We have some films that only I, me and two other people have seen on here. <laughs> you know, so I think it's uh, I think the, the content lends itself to that. I mean, we have we have recurring jokes like, you know, uh, Hardcastle and McCormick and stuff like that that are go way, 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 way back to when we had a co-host. <laughs> that kind of stuff, but I, I do think for a majority of the episodes, I think I think the best way to listen to our podcast would be to just simply, you know, think of it as a video store, like I said before, and just like, oh wow, I want to I want to check out that episode today. That's the movie I want to hear them talk about. Oh, oh, it's getting to the spooky season. I want to let me. I want to listen to some horror movie ones, which are a lot because I'm a mark for horror movies. Or oh, God, man, my dad loved this movie <laughs> for you <laughs> people. Let me see what this dude. Uh, this hyperactive 40-year-old is talking about this movie for. Blah, blah, blah. Again, I'm droning on too long, padding the runtime. But anyway, <laughs> let's go ahead and end it. Jesse, again, thank like personally, thank you for everything. Listeners, thank you for everything. Look forward to talking to y'all again. Uh, what we're going to, I think for the format, Jesse, uh, whatever the next movie is, that's what I'll tweet out. Or, you know, that's what I'll, at least, in, like, uh, hey, we're going to be recording this day. Get your questions in. Blah, blah, blah. The movie next week, or the ne- movie coming up is going to be... Derpity derp, de derp derp. So where do they follow that? Uh, hold on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, the thing is, I, let me pull up. Hold on, I gotta find Instagram on my phone first. And earlier you mentioned the emails that you're getting. Where can they email you? Oh yeah. Okay. Instagram. <laughs> well, it can't log me in for some reason. I guess I gotta go password reset and all that. Okay. Oh, <laughs> hold on. What do you remember it being? <laughs> 80s, I think it's 80s underscore revisited. Uh-huh. If I remember correct. Yeah, 80s eight, uh, or 80s underscore revisited. That's on Instagram. Twitter, I might have to lock it in that one. <laughs> oh, actually, I, I keep that one up because I tweet for Joe Bob Briggs and stuff. Where do you see your, the name of your account? Yes, that's my number. <laughs> yes, that's my number. Old man yells at Cloud again. Okay, at uh, 80s Revisited, no apostrophe, uh, on Twitter. And then the email is 80s Revisited, all one word, no uh, no unnecessary or uh, no punctuations at gmail.com. So I think I got them. If not, oh, Facebook, just 80s Revisited. You'll see it. I'm pretty sure. So hmm. follow us on just one of those. Uh, I do have the, uh, the Facebook was linked to where if I posted on Facebook, it should have sent everything out to the other ones. Right. I'll take a look at that again, see if it works. But just to be safe, follow us on at least two of those things. There you go. Let's get info to hear this, you know, car crash again.
and leave some reviews on itunes because that'll uh get the word out that it's back yeah all that fun stuff like subscribe all that well that's youtube let's that's a itunes too i guess (laughs) wherever you wherever you're listening that (laughs) yeah drop uh, and let us know what you think you know that's that's the thing uh too with podcasts or organic they evolve you know hey trey will you know if you if you have an idea for a new category in fact you know the reason we have i believe the no it was daniel's category that we had the uh sports rewind (laughs) reference from the first like 40 episodes uh you know we had a giveaway for a new category that people might like you know send in your suggestions and the one that you know fit the best is the one we did and i don't remember who won that because that was seven fucking years ago but we you know we added that new category and he won a uh collector's edition of the call of duty game that year because my brother works for infinity ward and got it to me for free so i passed it along to a loyal listener so but yeah everything we already said already to avoid repeating it because that's what my parents do and that drives me insane when it happens to me so i'm sorry i've done it to y'all (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, until next time, everybody, I remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! Find this show and more on facebook.com slash awesomepods and follow us on twitter at awesomepods